You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. Today, my guest is Dara Sampson, a social worker, teacher, and researcher. Dara uses fiction and other literature in her social work teaching. Her creative and innovative book club approach, which she used as her form of action research for her PhD, encourages and supports a safe and comfortable context for students to develop empathy, critical thinking, and interpersonal skills. Dara's approach, which she has used in her teaching over a six-year period, also facilitates students' exploration of potentially complex and challenging social work theories, ideas, and issues, including ethics, values, grief and loss, social disadvantage, equity, social justice, race and other discrimination, child protection, and issues related to gender. With social work theories spontaneously emerging and safely interwoven into collegial conversations, students are then able to place these conceptual and theoretical ideas into a story, into their own experiences of that story, and into their application to real life. Here's my conversation with Dara Sampson. Just acknowledging we are doing this recording over online video. So welcome. Uh, I guess this is an unconventional, you know, but very typical of these times, this sort of communication over the computer. So I'm interested to find out where where you've come from like how how did you get to be where you're at where you are at the moment what you're doing um just give us a little bit of your background yeah um thanks mark i think the um you know before going to where i am now which i guess broadly just to to give some context is around uh an interest in the use of fiction and literature in, in social work teaching um and i think you know going back I would say the the interest and the passion in literature um, pre you know presupposed my interest and passion in social work. So I, I remember my um, my grandmother um, teaching me to read. Um, so I could read a little bit before I went to school. It probably was a very little bit, but you know of course we like to inflate what what that might have been and how much I read. Um, and I, and I think there was also that shared experience with her that. I valued uh, and um, there, there were points I kind of just secondhand books you know created a little library uh, at home uh, and then I just think through school and going to local libraries uh, just you know read, read pretty voraciously um, through school so it was it was in the the iteration of where um, I wasn't sure whether I wanted to be a writer or a detective um, so I, um, I, I combine the two by reading a lot of uh, detective, detective novels or early ones, more like, um, you know, Nancy Drew and Trixie Belden, Famous Five, Secret Seven. And then by, um, probably by high school, um, read, I think, everything Agatha Christie ever wrote and, um, you know, kind of um, yeah, through through being younger and when I was younger, dressing up and, and construct a whole world that I think always involved imagination and character and fiction and people's stories. Uh, and, and problem solving. 
and problem solving. <laughs> well, you know, crit critical analysis. Uh, well, I'd like to I'd like to say that, Mark, but unfortunately, I think I only picked about two of the murderers in all of the the whole suite of Agatha Christie books. So, um, hopefully, my sense of deduction and critical thinking's improved since then. So then, when you um, were kind of like ending, oh, I guess I'm assuming that you were good at English when you were at high school or you were actively interested in English? Well, um, I, I was, yeah, well, certainly I, I really enjoyed English. I would say it was my favourite subject. Um, and, but, I, but I also actually liked maths and economics and did different, um, different I, I guess a fairly broad or as broad as what was kind of on offer at the particular school I went to. And then um, as part of my social work degree uh, at, um, at University of Sydney, I did do English first year in Australian literature uh, as well as philosophy. So always, yeah, I think continued that interest and um, continued to like writing and, and certainly to like reading. So when you, you didn't sign on for a, a kind of social work degree or, or you did an arts degree or how, how did you package it? together yeah, uh, so I did I did do a social work degree um, the and, and I suppose that the journey to there was one of thinking at a point you know I wanted to be a journalist so that was that was a, an early passion for me and didn't quite get the mark to go to UTS with, to do the communications course there and so I had a choice between law or social work at Sydney uh, and decided on social work and um, certainly never been a choice that I regretted. And, I, you know, I think there's a nice affinity around um, my principles around equity and social justice and, um, you know, disadvantage. But as part of the, the degree at Sydney University, you could do two years of um, art subjects as well. So um, that, that's how I was able to do English Australian literature and philosophy as essentially electives in, in the social work degree. So then you travelled through um, the, the course and then what happened towards the end? Like, you, did you start, I guess they typically have work placement in those sort of courses. Did they have it back then? Back then. Thank you very back much. <laughs> oh, well, we're, we're, we're of a similar vintage all those years ago. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so in, um, yeah, so I was at uni 84 to 87 um, and yes, we did three, three social work placements then. So my, uh, my first one was at a, um, um, a Catholic counselling agency. My second was at Department of Social Security, which is where I, I ultimately worked. And my third was an adolescent unit at, uh, at, as part of Gosford Hospital at the time. And then what, did, how did you start to, when you were nearing the end of your, um, your kind of study, did you start to formulate plans as to where you might like to work or how, how you were going to start to apply all these skills? Um, I'd like to say yes, but the answer is no. The answer was um, I was keen to travel and that had always been something that really interested me. So I did, um, I did nine months over in Canada in the States and worked, I didn't work in social work, worked and travelled around 
And then um, when I came home, uh, I literally, I contacted my, my, or two of my supervisors where I, I felt I had a fit with the organisation and that was then how I started working in, in social security. So um, worked there doing direct practice for 12 years and then in um, leadership roles in corporate and HR and business integrity. Uh, so it's only the last probably 11 years now that I've been working in um, working as an academic and teaching social work. So, so it was kind of a, a circle around of, you know, the practice of social work and then into very different language and theories around leadership uh, and then, you know, coming back and revisiting and rethinking and I, and I think thinking at a different level about social work theory when I started teaching it. Yeah, so what, what kind of drove you back, or it's not really back, but what drove you into that kind of academic sphere? Like you were kind of, uh, what was that phrase you used? Direct, direct practice, I think it was. And then you kind of done a whole heap of other things. What was that, what made you kind of go back into academia as such? Um, look, I, I've actually been very fortunate, I think, in my career in that I haven't, um, I haven't always had to consciously plan things and I don't regret that either. So it, 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 it was still a connection with the person who was the head of discipline of social work at uh, University of Newcastle and I had supervised social work students for her. So when she knew I was leaving, um, she asked me if I wanted to start doing some student supervision that kind of became teaching, that became um, an ongoing contract for teaching work. So um, it, yeah, it, it, was, it wasn't like a conscious plan. It was, it, and most of my work has been through knowing people or, um, yeah, having those relationships and connections and, um, and I guess taking opportunities, even if they might be a bit, you know, daunting at the time. So what was that like initially when you kind of um, got like more into a teaching role? Yeah, I, I think um, I think my first reaction was was wondering about my social work knowledge recency. And, and so that was, I guess, quite important to me to go back and start reading or, or updating my knowledge around social work specific theories and um, practices and skills um, and I yet yeah, so I coordinated second year um, for about three or four years which and, and fourth year as well which I guess is where I started to play with some of these ideas around how can I um, use what are some of the different mediums I can use for teaching so so probably mark to answer it was maybe getting myself to a requisite kind of skill level and then once I felt, you know, I had a reasonable, you know, sense of competence, started to explore what are some of the more creative ways I could be working with and supporting students. Uh, and, and that probably came about through my reflection on what were the areas that I saw could be challenging for students. So what, what were they? What yeah, yeah. So um, I, I think, and this was um, probably about six years into that period, thought about the, 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 the feedback I was getting from students about, you know, in consultations. And so the first would be around theory. 
and not only not only understanding theory but why is it important uh, and then the big part of that was and how do I apply it to real life you know how, how do I take something like um, the big idea around structural theory or around feminist theory and how do I use that to help make sense of the world I don't I don't kind of get it you know I don't know what that means uh, and the, oh, that's exactly what I was thinking <laughs> <laughs> Can you enlighten us in, in in a brief, you know, what is what structural theory? I don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah. So, look, I think um, uh, how I kind of made sense of it for teaching was I think we have social work theories that help us make sense of the world and they're what, what we think of as those big picture theories. So structural theory would fall into that, critical theory, feminist theory. Um, there are three theories that uh, my, how I think of them anyway, look at social disadvantage in a much broader sense than the individual. So, so if, for example, I was working with someone, which I did at Centrelink who was unemployed, a more individual approach would be, well, you know, this person needs to get a job and there's something inherently wrong with that person um, needing to get a job. Whereas those bigger theories are more about thinking the person's in a whole system, person's in society. What are the disadvantages that make it harder harder for them? Um, so I guess you're tapping into theoretical frameworks and systems, but then you, you're needing to teach them ultimately. So this is where you started to uh, engage with uh, some things are challenging for students, some things are not. Uh, you're kind of having a bit more thought about uh, alternatives, maybe. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And the other two, um, the other two areas were critical thinking and critical reflection. That that was tough for some students. Uh, and the third one, and probably the biggest impetus for what what has turned into my research, is around empathy. And um, I, because part of the courses with theory, we also taught interpersonal skills. And I wondered why it was that for some students, empathy seemed an innate, very easy skill to draw upon and to develop. And for others, whatever mechanisms we taught, it was still tough for them. Um, so I started to wonder, are there some skills that as educators, we can get people to uh, a requisite or, you know, kind of an okay level, but is there something that might enable people to move to that deeper level of, of more advanced sympathy? You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. Okay, now you mentioned a word um, back there, empathy. What is empathy? I, I think it's about a perspective taking or a capacity to actually imagine someone else's experience. So, so there's kind of that, you know, thinking or cognitive component about what might it be like for um, that person in that situation. And then I think the emotive or the, you know, the, the more affective component is imagining what might it be like for me if I was in that position. Um, so it's, I guess, you know, it's, it's a core social work skill in terms of 
with whoever we're working with uh, an ability to imagine someone else's circumstance in order to relate more to it. And um, there, there's also, you know, s some research that suggests if, if we are empathic as, as individuals, irrespective of, of what your profession is, then um, we're less likely to be discriminatory. We're less likely to do this thing called othering people, which is see people as very different to us. Um, and an example of that is travel. Travel's a great enabler for minimising difference because if we've spoken to someone from a particular cultural background, we've imagined what their story is, what their situation is like, um, we're more likely to extend that to other people from a, from a similar cultural group. And, you know, that applies to people with a disability, um, people of different gender, different sexual orientation, you know, whatever you want to insert in there. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it's really important, I think, around um, respectful relationships and around understanding others and understanding difference. So I guess one of the words you used back there um, was affect or affective, like as in linked to emotions. How, how do, like, I guess, how do you grab hold of some of those um, kind of elements, especially when you, you're trying to teach someone or when you, you know, they're, they're a bit fleeting sometimes. So what, what sort of, a, how do you approach it? Yeah, I, and I think that that was absolutely, Mark, the, the point at which I started to rethink about how we do teach empathy. So I think, you know, most social work schools teach it in a, um, in a way that we would have interpersonal skills. So we'd have kind of mock scenarios, if you like. We might have case studies. Um, we might do the dreaded role plays that, you know, no student ever wants to do ever. Uh, and... I think within those, and, and so often it's a triad and you're super, you know, someone's watching and you'll give feedback and, um, you know, someone might say, well, you know, Dara, I thought your introduction was, you know, a, a little clunky or it, it was dismissive or I wonder had you thought about doing something this way. So that's really, and of course there's a lot written about theory, but generally it's taught as a kind of an experiential hands-on thing and also on the placements that, that are still embedded in every social work degree. And that was my observation where, where that would work to get people to pass, if you like. Uh, but I, I would observe some students, and maybe this makes, makes me redundant, but I would think they would do well without a lot of feedback. But what, what I would see is feedback would move them to very quickly to like a more advanced level. And I guess to make sense of that advanced level, if, if we're talking about, you know, kind of basic 101 empathy, it might be that um, you asked me how my day was and I said, oh, you know, I was, I'm struggling a bit with this wet weather. And then you would reflect back something to me to show you've understood what I've said about the wet weather. And, and so there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but it kind of, you know, doesn't get to the deeper level um, and, and more advanced empathy would, would listen to patterns in someone's story and maybe tell the story back to them in a way that reimagines it. Um, so it might be piecing together that Dara said something about the weather and 
then she said something about something that happened to a friend. And so you would be, you know, starting to think there's a pattern here of maybe loss for Dara or around sadness or you'd be kind of piecing together and then telling that story back to me in a way that might make me think differently about something. Yeah, I guess it's, do you, would you like refer to that as like a higher, because it's a form of higher order thinking or something. It's in that realm, I would imagine, but I guess it's kind of, um, I, I keep thinking back to the context in which you're, you'd be actively listening as a social worker. You're kind of trying to solve somebody's problem that can get very complex. And so you're trying to piece together a story ultimately to solve their problem or at least offer some something that might address it. And so, well, I guess I'm just imagining students, are, like students kind of, are they are they up up for this sort of territory once it's pointed out <laughs> to them? Or how does it work? Yeah. Um, I, I think what you said there's a really important mark about solving the problem because I think what what we try to do with that more advanced level or higher order thinking or in social work broadly is to take the emphasis off us trying to solve someone else's problem. Oh, right. Um, That's a thing, hey? Yeah, it's a thing. It, it, I mean, for a few reasons, but one of the main ones is that it, it gives the, the social worker all the power as if, you know, we are the font of all problem-solving capability. Yeah. So what's the, um, flip, what's the alternative to that? Like, because I understand it's got parallels, immediate parallels with teaching, you know, with the style of student-centred versus the sage on the stage type thing. Yeah. And so I guess, yeah, what, what are some alternatives to that approach? Yes, absolutely. So it is that it very much like similar to that teaching approach of, um, that, that you are up there and you are giving people wisdom and pouring, pouring wisdom in their heads. And, um, you know, that's very appealing. So it's, it's sometimes it's hard to disavow quite rightly students who are like, I want to come in and help everyone and solve everyone's problem. So that might take the four years of the degree to unpack what that is about so it, you know to start to think about what that might be like if if we're in a, a perceived powerful position and we are I mean but by virtue of the organizations we work in the profession and particularly because we work often with really marginalized people we, we've got to consciously try to minimize that power differential as much as we can knowing you know we hold statutory child protection power, we hold income support power, we, you know, we hold power over resources. Um, so what we do then is in a way disempower people if we solve the problem because the next time that individual or, or group community has a perceived problem, um, they haven't actually built up any skills to do that. So, so the flip of that is the kind of stuff We've, we've been talking around about how can you explore the issue with someone and, and this works again at a community level, a group level and provide some stimulus for the person to get to and it might only be a small but to get to a slightly different way of thinking about the problem or the issue uh, and seeing that there might be from what might seem like a totally hopeless situation that there might be some other options here but that ultimately it's up to them 
to make the decision. And that's tough for, you know, new practitioners and, and certainly tough for students to let go of that um, very, very goodwill desire to, to come in and kind of be the, the saviour. So, so separate to how they're going to, how the social worker is going to respond, I guess you're saying that a fundamental kind of building block, if that's the word, um, to, to understanding the situation is this thing called empathy. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, combined with a lot of those other core skills and concepts around understanding theory, understanding um, social justice, social injustice around, um, and, and that second one I mentioned earlier about the capacity to critically think and critically reflect not only on the world around us, but on our own practice and what it is we're bringing to those relationships and, and to, to be consciously thinking about how in all of those interactions with people. So with the, you kind of, I'm, I'm interested in finding out more about your, your, um, some of these processes or approaches maybe to teaching and um, how you, you're kind of mixing them up a bit or, you know, finding out a little bit more to see which ones have legs or um, can you give us a bit more info about that? Yes, yeah. Um, so I think the um, having that in my, in my mind around how can we maybe do things a little differently was, um, yeah, this, this ongoing, I guess, an abiding love of and, and belief in fiction and literature. And um, so I, I think that the nexus was probably about my belief in education and change. And, and I think reading is such a vital underpinning of that, particularly for people in, uh, in you know, social disadvantage and, and how there can be, you know, such a, such an empowerment through education and alternatives. Um, so I, I, I started to combine the two and it would be around, you know, I think it was fairly low-key initially. It might be like opening up. I think I opened up um, an ethical decision-making class with, with a quote around um, um, from an author around, you know, what what we risk speaks of what we value. And then we started to talk about what's a value and what's a risk. And so initially stimulus material and also, you know, at the start of a particular unit, um, a, a poem about someone writing about um, the death of her father and how that was different on reflection. And then I, I guess the, the most conscious effort um, that I made was writing a, an assessment task, which was teaching grief and loss theory, but which allowed, I, I say allowed, though some of them didn't see it as a privilege, but um, students could choose one of five books that were part kind of memoir, part um, fictional, but they all had an element of Grief or loss, and I mean grief or loss in its broader sense, not not only a, a, about death, but about the loss of um, age, about the loss of self, about the loss of um, relationship, loss of employment. You know, so the whole broad gamut that that we work with every day, really, as social workers. And um, so the task was to pick one of the books um, and. A, 
you know, a few of the students picked the, the shortest book. We did a bit of a book club afterwards. I said, why did you pick the book? You, you know, I'm, I'm getting into this whole analysis. Why did you pick? And I looked and I said, it was the shortest, wasn't it? I said, yeah, no, it was the shortest. Um, and, and what was interesting for some students, they were really comfortable with it. With others, it was a real, this is too abstract for me. Uh, and a couple of people said, I've never read a book. And I said, <laughs> um, I thought they were kidding, but but um, it must have been all the Macmillan notes or whatever they, they were online to, to get them through HSC. But So what I asked students to do was draw out um, some psychosocial issues, so just some issues that if you were, were working with these people, family, you might think are important, uh, and to apply two or more of the social work theories we had been doing in class. And then to have a think about, if you were a social worker working with these the people in your book, what might be some of the, the ways that you would work with people in there? Um, and then that was a written task that, that they, um, they yet wrote up against one of those, um, one of those five books. So, so just so that we um, kind of got a bit of a shape, what, what are some of these, what did you call them, psychosocial skills? What, what are, can you just give us a list? Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, often in social work, we're asked to do assessment work. And so it, it would be about, um, and, and particularly if you're working in some settings, that would be more, for, for example, if you're working in a hospital, that would be more biased if you think about traditionally to medical, you know, to a doctor assessing or, um, uh, you know, oncologist assessing, whatever. The psychosocial elements, I, I think, are core social work business around what else is going on for this person. Yep, there's, there's the medical issue or, for example, in Centrelink, there's the income support issue. But what's happening, what's, their, what's happening in their family? What's happening in their kind of employment, what's happening around their social connections, what's happening in their community. So it's placing the person in a broader context um, and, and looking at what, what are the overall ways that this person um, is living within all of these kind of systems and, and how might they all be interacting on each other to make things either more, more positive or more challenging for this person. Yeah, so um, uh, so I think, Mark, like perhaps to give a specific example on um, psychosocial issues. So, um, so one of the particular books that we looked at was H is for Hawk by Helen MacDonald. Um, that, that kind of has a, a parallel of a woman becomes interested in falconry with also processing her father's death. So some of the, the, those psychosocial elements that students would draw out who looked at that book would be around Helen's profession. She was um, a, a lecturer. They would look at that, look at her. So she had become quite isolated, so might analyse what were her social systems, her connections in place. Um, she had a, a relationship that, with a male that kind of faltered throughout that. So that, they'd be kind of picking out the things that influence and make up this person but doing it in a way that's much safer than doing it with real life people before they get out on placement and have to do that.
You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. So, uh, not only are you using these sort of approaches with with books, I mean, with your students, that you felt that there was more potential to to researching some what was going on here. So, could you tell us a, a bit more about that territory? Yeah, absolutely. So that um, uh, you know led to undertaking PhD in uh, you know exploring how, if at all, the, the use of fictional literature can influence or impact social work teaching. So it was a very, very broad question. Um, in terms of the methodology for that, I, um, I was fortunate enough that a group of students who had former students who had been involved in that um, assessment task, um, I recruited them, they volunteered to help me form a book club. So that was the, um, it's an action research style of research, so we um, we met on ten occasions, and the students picked all of the books, um, and we um, we undertook um, you know a book club discussion, which was around I guess analysis of the book, critical reflection, um, a, a lot of lively debate and laughter, uh, and and ultimately then without it even being a guiding principle we would naturally come to discussion about what does this mean for social work is there stuff in here that's that speaks to social work um, so they that that was my um, my research and then um, you know in terms of the findings which is where I'm at at the moment writing up um, you know finalizing the discussion and the findings um, that was also about, you know, going back and seeing what have other people said in the literature about this way of teaching. But there were um, um, clear, four or five clear findings, but I think ultimately about ten, um, or, or this is in my thinking, compelling reasons about why we would want to look at this style of teaching. Um, and the... You know, the first of those was um, one I, you know, alluded to before when I was talking about the H is for Hawk book example. The, the strong finding was that using, um, using fiction or reading a novel gives people a place of safety to try out things. So rather than your first experience being working with someone perhaps uh, who's mother has died, father has died, you've actually had the opportunity to think about that in a, in a safe space, but a space similar enough to be real, which is, is what, you know, fiction creates and that just because it's fiction doesn't mean that it's, that it's not true. Um, and then the other part to that safety was we found in the discussion in the community that was created by this book club, there was a safety of, of being able to put forward opinions, ideas and disagreement because it could be under the guise of discussing the book. So um, it gave people voice and that's, you know, another strong um, core social work skill to be able to advocate for other people to actually, you know, f find your own voice. So, um, and that kind of leads into that and is closely a link to the second reason, which is it gives you practice for real life. So, so there's, there's enough um, 
in there that you, if you can relate to a particular book, that, that you can kind of try out some of those difficult discussions, deal with some of those difficult emotions that, um, that might be too confronting. Um, the other, you know, and going back to those three areas I, I was initially interested in, accessing um, some of those, uh, those theories and also thinking about social justice. So without it, you know, it, our discussions in, in the book club were never this formal, you know, what's a social justice issue, but people would become, you know, indignant or not because they would perceive, for example, that an author did not have the authenticity to speak to a person's situation or they, they would find the actions of a particular character were really, um, you know, against their social justice or their values. So again, it allowed people to explore that and in a way that's a lot more accessible to be thinking about theory and social justice in a real life story because social is, you know, about story. Um, critical thinking was another one and that came up a lot when we worked together because when we had different opinions around a book, it actually gave us all pause to think more critically about our own perspective and to be able to hear and empathise with other people's perspectives in the group. Uh, of the, the 10 weeks, there was not one book that we all agreed on in terms of, um, you know, whether we liked it, didn't like it, but we always pulled out something that would be relevant for social work. Um, the, and, and close to that was, you know, thinking about the ways reading can be a political activity, um, you know, linking that to, to the social justice ideas and thinking about what's our own ethical stance. So where do we sit in relation to some of those characters we might have problems with? Are we having problems because it's kind of touched a value or is it a bit close to home and, and that's why we might not find a, a character particularly likeable? Um, empathy was, was a big finding and, and this came out in terms of our discussions around what, what were some of the elements that made us relate to characters or to books and it didn't seem to matter whether... The situation was like ours or not. So, so for example, it might be a science fiction. Uh, it might be, uh, you know, a dystopian novel. Uh, we looked at, um, you know, The Handmaid's Tale. We looked at um, Ender's Game. Uh, we looked at um, uh, Darker Shade of Magic. All of which were genres some of us didn't read. But it was more about whether we thought the characters were. Um, whether we could empathise with them and whether we thought there was credibility that, that was important, more, more so than genre. Um, the, other, the other big thing that came out was about the, the ways that fiction can help us manage and deal with the abstract and, and ambiguity. So, you know, there, there's so much ambiguity and so much that's unknown when you're working with people in social work and it's not a black and white world. Uh, and, and to be able to think about a, a piece of fiction in that way and to sit with often the discomfort of not knowing exactly what's going on. Um, you know, we, we talked a little earlier about levels of life, which is, is two kind of separate plots within one book and it can be jarring, it can unsettle us. It's often that unsettling that happens that actually makes us think of things differently and leaves us, you know, more open 
to other perspectives and to be then able to take that skill of managing the ambiguity in a text and use that in real life and, and think how can I sit, sit with some of this um, discomfort. Um, and the last two findings were about the community that was formed through the book club. Um, so while there's definite advantages to, to using fiction in teaching, it, it came out it was equally important about how that's done and how it's facilitated and how it can actually enable um, a, a community within and connecting experiences through each other. So people would, um, people would change through hearing other people's ideas and then would often come to the next book club and say, I was thinking about what so-and-so said in between. Um, so connecting the experiences in between and learning that, again, empathy, but also capacity to think about, I didn't, I had such a different idea about that book than you, but what I've done in between is have another think about it and I want to talk with you a bit more about your perspective. Um, and, yeah, so that was about that, that the change in perspective that, that can come about through that experience. But it's generally always linked to uh, the, the elements and the aspects that are re related to one's social work practice. It's not, you're not just kind of looking at the characters and, oh, she's, or he is a particular thing. You're not kind of critiquing it and discussing it like a, a regular book club. You're kind of always uh, mindful of how it's, it's sort of like, well, not, not picking it apart per se, but it's kind of, you, you're using it as a trigger for deeper conversation, deep, deeper dialogue that's uh, within a framework of social work. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think with the the assessment task that I talked about a bit earlier with the five books, um, of course, you mm. know, students wanted to pass, so they've got to think about the theories and. Ah, uh, but this other you're talking, you're also looking at the actual process, yes. the social. Yes. Yeah. So I, I think that would be the point of difference, and it was almost like a. Um, Oh, look, it was intentional, but there was also unintended learning. And I think that I think that's one of the beautiful things about it because it's, you know, if you said to any of us, sit down and read, um, you know, a, a theory textbook on whatever, I don't think we're not going to be, you know, overly excited. <laughs> yeah. Well, some people might be. <laughs> we're not engineers and... <laughs> I, didn't if, I didn't know if I was at time then, or you were putting your hand yes. up. It might not engage every. No. It might not engage every learning style. No. That be fair. <laughs> um, but but it can be much more accessible if if you're learning about you know characters going through, and then make the links with the students. Uh, look, one that springs to mind because it. Um, it, it was an early one and there was a lot of contention about it was um, an Australian novel called Jasper Jones. Uh, and the, um, so that, that caused, or not actually caused is the wrong word, created, which is the, is the good part of it, uh, a whole debate about the ethics of, of one of the main characters in there. The, the, the story generally is about, you know, young people in a, in a particular um, Australian community and, um, you know, the, the community has elements of violence and there, there is a, a death in the community. 
and then how that you know the the as a group we had such different perspectives about how that that death was handled um, from the point of you know one person actually saying everyone in this in this novel is a cardboard cutout and another person was kind of incensed that they weren't they were just seeing them as like this archetype who had been the person who suggested the book so that's always you know another interesting tension as well about what we bring with or what we show with the books that we choose the, and then how um, was all that resolved then in terms of the dialogue between each other? It's, it's, are you acting as a negotiator or facilitator or the group work it out themselves or how does, what are the dynamics? Yeah, it, 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 was, a, that was, a, it was consciously a, a difficult thing in that the, the style of action research that I chose, participatory, is really based on principles of being equal and egalitarian. Uh, and of course, but it's my responsibility to, to make sure we get some findings for the research. So, um, no, there was no, I certainly didn't mediate. I mean, it didn't reach, you know, the point that it needed mediation. But that was a, that was a good example where both people the next week came back having thought about the other's position and wanted to understand more the other person's position. Um, so pretty much we would let the conversation run. There was nothing that was, it, it, you know, it was respectful and within um, the bounds of what we had set up. But it wasn't a structured, let's talk about theory, let's talk about ethics. It was more about let's see what comes up and invariably things did. For some it might be more around values. For some it might be more around um, particular issues of, uh, you know, race discrimination um, we invariably, you know, gender came up in most of our discussions about how have men been portrayed, how have women been portrayed. We would, um, you know, loss and um, grief about um, constructions of romance. There was a, another particular book called A Darker Shade of Magic where, you know, how the, how the male and the female characters were portrayed um, was seen as kind of subverting some of the ways that men and women are typically portrayed. So that was seen as a real positive. In other books, it was seen to kind of reinforce the ways that men and women are portrayed. Um, and then social work theories would just come up as a result because people would say um, Ender's Game, for example, uh, which, which was another kind of futuristic book that, that we chose, there were a lot of child protection issues in that, that that were able to be discussed in a way that was much safer than anyone talking about their placement experience or their personal experience because could talk about what is it like in this dystopian world for this eight-year-old boy to be going into battle every day and what what would that mean around that person, that, that child and his development and what does it say about that society? So, so it kind of interwove in and I think that's the whole strength to this approach because it doesn't, um, it, for, for students that learn in, in a way where they connect with story, they can um, seemingly place those conceptual theoretical ideas upon a story, as well as their own experience on the story. In this episode, I chatted with Dara Sampson, a social worker, teacher and researcher. 
You can find more information about this episode, including links to Dara's reading list, in the show notes. Thank you for listening to Perspectives in Parryville. <laughs>